Hello and welcome to the Vorthos cast. I'm your host, Chris Delano. And I'm... <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I mean, Jay and Ellie. <laughs> and I'm Brian Dawes, and I don't know what's happening. But, but Chris, you never introduced the show. That's, that's my job, Jay and Ellie. <laughs> I am very sorry to all our listeners who have trouble <laughs> distinguishing me and Chris apart, because there's going to be a lot of that in this episode. Yeah, it's the first time we've been on an episode together in a while, so, uh, yeah. If you've been listening to the past episodes and you thought you were listening to Jay, you were not. It was, uh, it was me. <laughs> the The nice thing is it means I can take an extended break and people still think I'm around, which is, you know, it's it's handy. It's handy. It's definitely, it's definitely nice. Except when they start tagging me about Chris's jokes. Because <laughs> <laughs> mine are so much funnier than yours. Of course. Of course. All right. So... Today, we're going to talk about, oh my god, this is a long title. <laughs> we had to abbreviate <laughs> it in our agenda. Magic the Gathering Commander Legends Dungeons and Dragons Battle for Baldur's Gate is fully previewed. Yep, I should charge by the word for saying that. Jesus. <laughs> um, <clears throat> so we're going we're gonna to get to that in just a second. Uh, but also... If you were at Command Fest Richmond this weekend, make sure you get tested. That's all I'm going to say about it. Cases are high. It's great they had fun. Keep on top of it. All right. We also, as a Vorthos cast, have commissioned a new playmat. Right now we have a survey out. It's not just for our patrons. It is for our listeners as well. If you're a listener but you don't support us on Patreon, that's okay. We don't mind. However, uh, please just... Hop in, go to our go to our Twitter at the Vorthos Cast. Follow the link for the survey. We're just trying to get information on how we should get these mats done. What people would prefer. Uh, it is going to make a price difference. You know, it could be basically these could be anywhere from you know fifteen to twenty five dollars depending on options. So we we're just trying to see what people prefer and shipping and all sorts of considerations. Uh, I will make sure that we put that in the thread with this episode. So if you found this episode through Twitter, you can go look at the thread following it and there'll be a link to the uh, survey. If you are listening to this on Spotify or SoundCloud or whatever, I'll put the uh, link to the survey in the description. The survey will only be open probably for like a few more days. So if you're listening to this and it's like Thursday the 9th, the survey might be closed. Uh, so just uh, go go do it right now if you're listening to it on the day of the release. All right. So let's dive into the flavor gems of Magic the Gathering Commander Legends Dungeons and Dragons Battle for Baldur's <laughs> Gate. So the first thing for flavor gems I'm going to recommend here is outside of Brian, uh, we are not D&D lore experts. I have played some of the first Baldur's Gate. Uh, I know a little bit about Baldur's Gate 3. I have read the Descent into Avernus book and some a few of the more recent 5th uh, edition books, but I am not totally up on D&D lore. One thing I would recommend is check out Justice Ged's threads on Twitter. It's at, at Justice Jameson, J-A-M-E-S-O-N, and they have a uh, a lot of really great threads on the cards because they were the conceptor for a lot of these cards. So they wrote the art descriptions and things. So there's a lot of cool lore on why they did certain things in certain ways on this set. It's very cool. Yeah, it's, uh, it's really neat. There's a uh, whole thread about the LGBTQIA representation in the set, which there is a lot of. Uh, a lot of that comes from the fact that a lot of the characters in the set are romanceable options from Baldur's Gate's games, which you can romance regardless of what your gender for your character is. So, like, a lot of these characters are just pansexual by justice of being a game. <laughs> but there's also a lot of concepting for for characters who are not the romanceable options. Uh, lots of great information. Basically, all of the flavor gems that you could possibly need, which are in you know Twitter threads. So and that's our episode. So yeah. thank, thank you for you listening. For, no, we're, we're, <laughs> we're just kidding. We're going to we're going to actually talk about stuff we did like. So uh, there are some new mechanics in the set. Uh, the biggest one is backgrounds and choose a background uh, rather than partner this time around. Uh, they got around the infinite partner variations by creating a new variant where we have these new enchantments called backgrounds 
that uh, the monocolored legendaries in the set can choose a background in order to add a color uh, to their color identity. And then it functions as an extra ability for your commander. So each of them gives an ability to commander creatures. Uh, Because of this, however, one of my favorite subjects, uh, this set also has three um, planeswalkers can be your commander. Uh, So all three planeswalkers in this set can be your commander. And it also has uh, 29 of these backgrounds. So that means 32 new non-creature commanders for a grand total of 77 non-creature cards that can be your commander, that are legal commanders, which I think is amazing. I love it. (laughs) You know, uh, which is why Planeswalkers can just not normally be your commander, because there's so many options. So why would you want to have your commander be your favorite Planeswalker? Exactly. (laughs) Right click boot from chat. (laughs) Okay. Uh, So we also have some returning mechanics. Uh, We have Myriad, which is uh, uh, creates a token for every when you attack with a creature. It creates a token copy of that creature attacking each uh, other opponent you could have attacked, uh, which is nice because you can attack the most vulnerable and then still, you know, put some put some pressure on other uh, on other players. Uh, Adventures return. You might remember those from Eldraine. Well, they are pretty perfect for D&D. Not as perfect as Level Up, (laughs) which I'll I'll leave that hanging out in the air there. I, I don't know about that. But uh, they are they are pretty cool. Uh, they fit right into the D and D aesthetic. Uh, rolling dice is back uh, for D twenties specifically. You might remember that from the last D and D set. Uh, initiative. Uh, I think initiative is is initiative new. Yeah, it's the, the okay. You- initiative is new. Well, you have it under returning mechanics. Well, it, it's it's a mixture of the monarch and venture into a dungeon. So. Yes. Okay. So it's a mixture of venture and the monarch because uh, you have initiative, but also you are doing dungeons. And there's a new dungeon, the Undercity. Yeah. The only you cannot venture into the Undercity with a regular venture card from AFR, if I remember correctly. You, yeah. Uh, you can't go. You can't pick that as your dungeon. Yes. But you can mm. venture through it with the venture mechanic from AFR. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it's very, it's, you know, I'm just going to tell people to go read the rules document for this set because I think this is the most confused I've been about a new mechanic or slash returning mechanic in a very long time. Yeah, I, I don't, I think they overcomplicated it because they didn't want people in other formats to be able to choose this dungeon. Uh, through normal gameplay, but I, I think the execution was kind of fumbled. So yeah, the Undercity is a very powerful dungeon. Uh, generally speaking, if you are if you have the option to get initiative and go through the Undercity, you should do it because there's so much good stuff in that dungeon. It's better than any of the other ones. Yeah, I think I would have been happier if they just said that this dungeon is only viable for commander play. But that's just me. All right. Well, Chris, why don't you start with your flavor gems? Uh, well, you know, we can we can trade off. I'll do one. Brian can do one. You'll do one. We'll just we'll, we'll so we're for the listeners. We're approaching this a little differently than we normally do. Flavor gems in the past. We've like broken down the entire set into categories and gone through them. And we each talk about our favorite cards from those categories. Uh, every card in the set is kind of a flavor gem in its own way. There's so many references to D&D. There's so many references to specific campaigns. There's a lot of references to the Baldur's Gate games. So instead of going through each card individually, we've all just kind of picked our favorite cards to talk about. And so I'll start us off with Archivist of Ogma. So Ogma is one of the go- is one of the gods. It's a uh, Ogma is like the god of knowledge and learning. The reason I want to talk about this card has nothing to do with Ogma. It has everything to do with the fact that this is another example of Justice Gettys' uh, great work of representation in the set because this is a halfling cleric with uh, a disability. They only have half of a right arm. I think that is really cool to see this in a card, especially since this isn't like some of the other disability representation we've had in the past. If you remember a very infamous commander card with a sculptor who also had a disability and was missing uh, half of an arm, they uh, kind of made it sound like that was a bad thing. And so now we have this, this cleric who's just perfectly accepting of their body and there's not like a weird thing going on with like oh i wish i looked different this archivist is just living their life 
I also love that the flavor text to use uh, is knowledge's greatest tool of mortal mind outweighing anything that, be, that anything made by mortal hands. And I'm putting emphasis on hands, but it, it's great. Uh, but yeah, it's uh, there's there's a whole thread about disability representation, like I mentioned on uh, Justice's Twitter, and this is one of the cards that was highlighted. There's several cards in the set that are talking about sort of the representation of people with disabilities with different mobility, with different bodies, just uh, all sorts of different uh, representations in the set. Yep, yep. So my first flavor gem is Javelin of Lightning. Uh, I play a lot of D&D, and uh, this is one of my favorite magical items in D&D, and they've kind of done it pretty well as far as how it kind of interacts in D&D, because in D&D, um, uh, Javelin of Lightning is generally a normal javelin, but you can activate it by uh, using by saying a specific word, and you can throw it. And when you throw it, it uh, does a it basically does a lightning bolt like attack that any body that it passes on its way to its target takes damage, and the target takes a little bit more damage. Um, so the fact that it it has flash and it only works on your turn. It, it kind of fits. Um, like, I, of course, you know, I wish it, it could deal some uh, kind of like pyroclasm kind of damage or something, but it, it still works for me as far as the flavor and how it actually works in D&D. So kind of happy with that. Yeah, there were a few spells that were, were pretty cool along those lines that, um, uh, yeah, I have nothing actually <laughs> additional to add. To there were a few spells that were cool along those lines. Uh, so I want to talk about the faceless one or just faceless one, which is the colorless. I guess it's the version of prismatic Piper for this set. It is a creature background. So it's like an enchantment creature background. So it can both be your creature and it chooses a background or it can be the background you choose for uh, one of your other commanders, which I think is really cool. The reason I thought it was really neat is because it's like the, especially with like the the Baldur's Gate game, but realistically any D&D game, you know, you're creating your character from scratch. This is your character from scratch. This is uh, a lot of RPGs have like, you know, it customizes, but then the sequel comes out and like, who is your last character? Oh yeah, generic McGenericson did like a bunch of stuff, and now you've got a new new custom <laughs> character who will also be generic McGerton. Yeah, <laughs> I can't talk. <laughs> You're today. trying. Uh, I really did try, uh, but anyway, I thought it was cool that there's like this is basically the player character card. I thought that was really, I thought that was really neat. It's a nice touch for the uh, colorless. We need this to fill all the gaps card. Yeah, this uh, this goes great into my second card I picked, which is a background. And one of the cool things about the art for all of the background cards is that there's always a central figure in the art, but you can't see their face. So I like to talk about the inspiring leader background, which is just a, it's an uncommon background. It's a commander creatures you own have creature tokens you control get plus two plus two. Very cool. Great for like a tokeny deck. Uh, the thing I want to talk about is just the fact that it's like super communist. The, the central character is like inspiring a bunch of people. Uh, they're holding a sickle over their head. This was this was intentional. There was absolutely. So uh, shout out to, to Stephen Stark for that. Um, but the, the flavor text is also great. Your family needed a farmer, so you tilled. Your town needed a fighter, so you trained. When your people needed a leader, you knew what you had to do. So all of the background cards are pretty great in that sense. They definitely feel like uh, a character's background in D&D. They are all named, for the most part, named after actual backgrounds that you can choose when creating your character. So, uh, yeah, I just like this card a lot. And our next card is also a background with Tavern Brawler. This is an awesome representation of what Tavern Brawler does in D&D. Because basically, Tavern Brawler in D&D means you can use any item as a weapon as if you have proficiency with it. And the Tavern Brawler card says that commander creatures you own have the beginning of upkeep. Excel the top card of your library. This creature gains plus X plus zero until end of turn, or X is that card's mana value. You may play that card this turn. So basically giving your commander a weapon that's improvised and just using they can use that card to beat your opponent senseless as well as letting you cast that spell and i think that's a perfect way for this <laughs> this uh 
background to be used in the set. It's great. Uh, so I want to, my next flavor jam isn't one specific card, but it's the whole ancient dragon cycle. I think they're all ancient metallic dragons. Is that correct? They're all like ancient bronze. Yeah. So these are our first non-legendary elder dragons. We were talking before the cast. We're like, wait, didn't, didn't the other one have one? And I, I just looked it up. No, these are the first non-legendary elder dragons. At least I think so. I might be messing that up. I really feel like we like we talked about this before, but uh, I thought it was honestly they're pretty epic for that. You could have slapped legendary on each of these. These are pretty powerful cards. Like even the white one, roll a d twenty and get that many one ones. That's probably the best token generation in the game. It's uh, it's whenever. So each of them has like a whenever you deal combat damage to a player, you roll a d twenty and then you get a number of things equal to that roll result. Uh, so the white one is you get a number of one, one blue fairy dragon creature tokens with flying. So like you can get on average, like 10, one, one flying blue creatures. Like it, it's just, it's absolutely absurd. Um, and there was a lot of talk about these cards when they were previewed, because like when you roll a D 20 in D and D, you typically are kind of upset when your result is like eight, right? Eight is like on the lower end of what you you want to get. Uh, in Magic, if you roll an 8 with any of these cards, you are winning. 8 is a really good result. If you get 8 one, one Flyers, like, that is a lot. <laughs> so Draw 8 like, cards. Oh god, draw 8 cards. It's just bring back 8 creatures or whatever it is the black one does. It's pretty incredible. <laughs> so, um, what I'll also say, so I, I just went back to my Twitter account and looked it up. And the reason we feel like we've talked about this before is because the first one, the Ancient Brass Dragon, was previewed three months ago. So that's why we feel like we've had this conversation before. <laughs> but yeah, this is this is the first time the whole cycle is officially previewed. Uh, but anyway, I've come around when I first saw it. I'm like, non-legendary Elder Dragons? <laughs> Excuse me. <laughs> but now, now I, I, I think they're pretty cool. I've come around quite a bit. It just means five less things that you have to put in a book eventually, Jay. So I think you should be you should be grateful. <laughs> it's on the D&D side, so I I will not have to write about it. Unless any of the D&D folks are listening and want to hire me to write about it, then I would love to write about it. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, another flavor gem that I wanted to talk about, and this one is from the Commander decks. So this one is not in the regular set. This one is only a card you can get from buying the uh, pre-con Commander decks. And this is... Durnan of the Yawning Portal. So Durnan is not in Baldur's Gate. He is not anywhere associated with Baldur's Gate. He is in Waterdeep, but they put him in this set because he is an iconic character. Durnan is the innkeeper owner of the Yawning Portal, which is a inn in Waterdeep that is situated directly above the uh, Undercity. No, under Mountain, to be more exact. Uh, The Undercity there is no Undercity. There's a lower city in Baldur's Gate, but that's another conversation. Um, but Durnan is this sort of iconic barkeep. He is the archetypical, you walk into a tavern and you ask the the barkeep for a flagon of mead and for the latest rumors of adventures. He's the guy who will send you out on, on adventures and tell you where to go and who's hiring. He's also one of the uh, lords of Waterdeep, very important political figure. And I think it's really cool because one of the things he does is uh, his card, when he attacks, you look at the top four cards of your library. You may exile a creature card from among them and then put the rest on the bottom of your library in any order. For as long as that card remains exiled, you may cast it. And that spell has Undaunted. So it costs one less to cast for each opponent. That's just the barkeep finding adventurers to send on quests. And I think that's really cool. He also, you can choose a background. So you could choose to make him a tavern brawler if you want. On top of that, his... his uh the Yawning Portal Tavern is literally, like, in the center of it, there's this huge well. Like, there's this huge circle where people can take a rope, uh, like, elevator-ish kind of thing down into Undermountain, which is one of the dungeons from the first, from AFR, um, Adventures in Forgotten Realms. And, like, there's this huge dungeon complex like it's like 21 stories or 21 floors of magical monsters, beasties, and all sorts of mayhem that you can encounter down there. It's one of the largest uh, campaign, like 
campaign maps you can have, like, each floor is a huge map of stuff that your party can encounter. And uh, the Undaunted thing, to me, just reads like, if you like if you're willing to go down to that tunnel or in that uh that that well you're you have to have some big brass balls to go down there so you better be undaunted um but our next card is saddle of the or yeah saddle of the cavalier i'm going to do that again our next card is saddle of the cavalier another one of my favorite magical items in the game because i was always enamored with the idea of being a druid who wore this thing in combat and had another party member ride me because the saddle in the game in D&D allows the rider to take the hits of the um of the creature wearing the saddle and it it was a really cool equipment that you had to find niche uh applications for but i really enjoyed using it and in dean or in magic it gives a creature plus three plus three and can't be blocked by creatures power three or less um not as good as a uh trends or not as good of a representation of the DD item but it's still one of my favorite items it does make your mouth a little bit stronger and does kind of give you that sort of protection aspect for it but not as clean of a representation as maybe the javelin of lightning so i wanted to talk about tabaxi tucaneers so first of all how dare you make me have to pronounce that (laughs) but second of all uh i just love the tabaxi ever since i learned that their like special ability is basically the zoomies (laughs) <laughs> they're, they're like you know compared to leonin they're like house cats compared to leonin's lions they just zoom around so i was very disappointed this card didn't have haste or anything but you know i just love i love a good tabaxi so that's why i included it and also they're toucaneers toucaneers how do you even say that what what <laughs> i love that this leaned into some of like the sillier elements of DD because these are just straight up cat people with the zoomies flying on top of big toucans like toucan sam they come in to make sure you eat in your fruit loops <laughs> oh my god all right so speaking of flying around uh my next flavor listen gem. flavor gems get fun when i have no idea what i'm talking about <laughs> do you ever <laughs> anyways <laughs> i just i i fake it till you make it and eventually i'll make it so uh my my next card is a uh, nautiloid ship so the nautiloid ships are these like weird helix cool like nautilus type things uh that are flown around by the mind flayers they are sort of like the weird spaceships with like squid tentacles and they're very cool but a uh, nautiloid ship i like a lot because first of all uh baldur's gate 3 which is the <laughs> the baldur's gate game that i have played the most of because baldur's gate 1 and 2 are both very cool but i just cannot get into them but i have played baldur's gate 3 quite a bit in the last few weeks uh, at least the early access of it. And the game starts off with you uh, in an autoloid ship and you kind of crash land it. It's very fun. Uh, but this card is just cool because it kind of does what you expect an autoloid ship to do. When it enters a battlefield, you exile a player's graveyard. And whenever it deals combat damage to a player, you may put a creature card exiled with it onto the battlefield under your control. The nautiloid ship is known for a uh, swooping in kidnapping people and turning them into mind flayers and so you get to do that you get to pretend to be the like interplanar weird monsters that mind flayers are my next flavor gem is another magical item from DD that i love to use it's the horn of valhalla um basically in DD, the the horn of valhalla comes in many different metals it can be bronze silver or iron, and um, and there is also a different one from uh, Under Mountain, where you can there's a there's one that summons Minotaurs instead of warriors. But basically, the the type of metal elevates um, the type the number of these berserkers that you summon when you blow on the horn. So the first mode, the adventure side of it, is you blowing the horn, and then uh the the equipped creature gets plus one plus one for each creature control is like basically symbolizing how powerful you are because of how many of these berserkers you still control because like these berserkers hit really really hard in dnd so it's a really awesome magical item if you can manage to find one 
So the next one I want to talk about is Displacer Kitten, because it's a kitten of a displacer beast. This is brilliant. It is adorable. It is... I've only had it for like five seconds, and (laughs) I I love it so much. It is so cute. Like, the ability is great. It's a good card, too, right? And it's it's just amazing. It is amazing. And the actual text... It has a uh, a flavor word. Um, it has a flavor ability called avoidance, which means it's just like trying to dodge you. Meanwhile, it's trying to catch one of its own many tails. It is just come on. This is this is gross. Is what it is. And the flavor text is: Isn't she the cutest thing you've almost seen? Because <laughs> it keeps blipping in and out of existence. Yeah, it's uh, very very cute. Um. My my next card is Zevlor Eltural Exile. So this is one of the uh, one of the like characters you meet pretty early in Baldur's Gate three. I was surprised by how early you meet him. Uh, he is sort of leading a group of exiled tiefling, and you uh, solve some problems. I don't want to like spoil too much about Baldur's Gate three, but he's a very cool character. He leads this entire group of like exiled tieflings who are trying to create their own place in the world because, as you know, like. Tieflings have fiendish blood in them, and that kind of puts some people at unease and also kind of associates them very strongly with uh, the the devils. So by leading this group of exiles who are all pretty cool and fun people, you get to meet a lot of them and like have little side quests with them. Uh, He's just a good guy. That's the only way to really put it. He's just a really good guy. Uh, You have a whole like plot thing with some druids. Don't want to spoil anything. You get to choose whether or not you want to uh, help them out. And uh, yeah, he's just a fun character in Baldur's Gate 3, and you should play that game once it's out, or now in early access. Our next card is Decanter of Endless Water, another item from D&D that I love to see people cheese with. Um, It's one of those items that you don't think will be initially useful when your party finds it, but then you find all sorts of weird ways to utilize this item that seemingly pours out an infinite amount of water. Um, and in magic, it's giving you an unlimited hand side, which is essentially, Hey, this thing can hold as much water as you can, as you can think of. So you have unlimited hand size and the ability to tap for any color is just like, it's the water is the mana that you're producing in my eyes. So I think this is a really sweet way to represent this item in magic. And I love it. It's great. And the flavor text is also pretty funny. My next card is. I have been insulted by Brian about, but it's, you've been caught stealing. And anyone who has ever DM'd a game with a bunch of sociopaths <laughs> has known they will always steal. So let me, let me tell you all a story. One of the very first tabletop RPGs I tried to play was the pen and paper Fallout game. I don't think it was official. It was said, supposedly, one of the designers of the original Fallout wrote it. Thinking back, this is probably bullshit. Um, but we played all this, and I sat down with my friends, and I gave, them the op- I gave them all some gold, and I gave them the opportunity to buy some gear from the vault store with the shopkeeper, a guy they have known in-game all of their lives. They've always known this because the vault just opened up, right? So what do they do? They immediately steal from him when he won't offer them a discount. <laughs> because why not? And it always reminds me as well, my favorite stealing from a shopkeeper moment in any game ever, tabletop or video game, is Link's Awakening. Because you can steal from the shop in there rather than paying the rupees for whatever item you need. But if you come back after you've stolen the shopkeeper becomes basically a god and hits you with like a Kamehameha and kills you. And then you can't do a, a complete run through without dying that way. But then, and then for the rest of the game, uh, everyone calls you thief instead of whatever name you've put in. Amazing. And so anyway, I love the flavor of this card. I love the shopkeeper being mad. And Brian wrote at the end of uh, my little tab here, after I said you've been caught, after I put in you've been caught stealing, he wrote, of course you have, Jay, you're a goblin, <laughs> which is offensive. <laughs> and but not also, inaccurate. Yeah, also correct. I mean, <laughs> but not inaccurate. 
There's a. Wouldn't it be weird if there were like some sociopathic uh, criminals on this this podcast? Anyways, uh, there are no murderous sociopaths on this podcast. Don't pay attention to any Streets of New Copenna propaganda that I was forced to become mm-hmm. this terrible person to expose yourself. You mean? That I'm definitely not. No, I'm a good guy. I'm a legitimate <laughs> businessman. Allegedly. He's just a good guy. He's just he's just a little guy. He's just a good guy. It's fine. Um, my uh, my next card is Storm King's Thunder. So this is an instant. It's X red red red. Uh, when you cast your next instant or sorcery spell this turn, copy that spell X times. You may choose new targets for the copies. Really fun sounding card. It's got beautiful art by Alexander Mokov. Uh, the reason why this is a flavor gem and why I think this is one of my favorite cards from the set is that it is depicting uh, Hecaton, the Storm King, Storm Giant King. And the name of the card, Storm King's Thunder, is the name of an adventure module for 5th edition D&D. One that I they did played. the thing! They said the name! They did it! <laughs> they put the name! So, like, you, there's a lot of D&D modules for 5th edition. There's, you know, a lot of names for some of them have popped up in cards. But this is a card that is named the actual name of one of the adventures. Um, there's another card in the set that does that, too. I'll let Brian talk about that later. But, uh... This is uh, just a really cool card. I think it's fun to put that in there where it's like, hey, remember that time you and your friends played Storm King's Thunder? Remember like all of the fun twists and turns and all the giants you got to meet? Uh, so yeah, love it. I just love that they did it. They said the thing. Yeah, I, I, that is one of the few 5th edition campaigns that I haven't run yet or been or been able to play at all. And I'm kind of sad because I've wanted to run it or play in it and it's just never had the time to do so and it's it's always seemed really cool to me but anywho my next uh flavor gem is packed weapon yet another item but this one is kind of different as far as the other items are concerned because this one can change depending on the the person wielding it because in D&D, warlocks have the opportunity to take up the pact of different types of packs with different types of powerful beings, one of which is Pact of the Blade. And when you have a Pact of the Blade with one of these beings, they generally give you some kind of magical weapon. Um, and that's considered your pact weapon. And as you progress, you have different choices you can use to empower your weapon or empower your spellcasting through this weapon. And... Um, the fact that all sorts of warlocks have different causes for uh, being in the service of this of this powerful patron, or or abusing the, their patron's ability to give the magic for or whatever. There's a lot of different story routes you can have for being a warlock, but the fact that this this weapon is saying that you can't lose the game for having zero less life kind of embodies a lot of warlock backstories where generally your patron has saved you from dying in some way you've pledged your service to them and then it's also emblemizing the fact that they are giving you power through this weapon because whenever the equipped creature attacks draw a card and reveal it this creature gets plus x plus x until end of turn and you lose x life where x is that card's mana value and it's just and the equip cost is just extra because you actually have to sacrifice something to be able to wield this your patron's power in this case wield this pack weapon so it's a great way to improvise the flavor of a pack weapon in dnd and i love it so the next card i want to talk about is a beautiful card full of righteous fury it's called band together and it features minsk and boo with minsk having just bodily thrown his giant space miniature giant space ham- hamster <laughs> <laughs> the opponent he's it's just a picture of him full-on chucking this poor little hamster who is eager and ready for battle it is a fastball special i don't know if you know anything about comics but it is like when colossus or one of those other really strong guys just throws wolverine at somebody uh <laughs> it is hilarious uh it's it's just good it is the perfect piece of art for this set uh, it is just a perfect piece of art. There's a guy in the background with his fim- fist pumping up in the air like, yeah, and it is just it's it's a work of art, like true art. I don't think magic has really ever matched this level of art in a set. Uh, well, I'm just glad that they brought back banding personally. What? Um, no, it doesn't no, have banding, not. Chris. <laughs> That's what makes the I said the art was great. The card is a flavor fail from top to bottom. How do you have a card <laughs> called to, uh, how band together 
that does not at least stimulate banding. Because no one needs that in their life. (laughs) Are you sure it doesn't simulate banding? Can you tell me what banding does real quick? Do you know? Yeah, Jay. What does it do? (laughs) So with banding, you band with other creatures and you Uh attack as a group, have to be attacked and blocked as a group, as a batch. That's all banding is. Don't say batches. Don't say batches. Oh my god. Uh, Okay, anyways, moving on. Uh, my next flavor gem is one Go of my favorite. <laughs> my next flavor gem is one of my favorite characters that you meet in Baldur's Gate Three in uh, early access. So this character is going to show up again later. Uh, has one encounter so far. Once the game is complete, you will encounter her more. But this is Carlac, Fury of Avernus. Carlac's story in Baldur's Gate Three is that she escapes from uh, Avernus, you know, which is the like uppermost layer of the Nine Hells. Uh, by sort of tagging along with you on your Nautiloid ship while you're escaping Avernus. And uh, she used to be basically the, like, favored warrior of Zariel, who, if you remember from Adventures in the Forgotten Realms, uh, as, like, the Mono Red Planeswalker, she is really cool. You meet her, she's wounded, she's been fought, uh, she's been hunted by some paladins, and she gives you sort of a, a very fun quest that I don't want to spoil at all. Uh, she's also the object of a quest, if that gives you an idea of what might be going on. But she's just a, she's a really cool tiefling barbarian. She's got one broken horn, one horn that's not broken. Uh, her ability is very fun. Whenever you attack, if it's the first combat phase of the turn, untap all attacking creatures. They gain first strike until end of turn. And then at the end, after this phase, there's an additional combat phase. So you get to attack twice, or you can just attack with one creature untap them give them first strike and then attack with all your other creatures so it's very cool uh i just love that there's all these Baldur's gate 3 characters for the game that has not even like officially fully released <laughs> but there is a lot of content content in early access she's also like kind of hot i'll just be honest with y'all <laughs> <laughs> i hope she's romanceable anyways <laughs> Our next flavor gems, or group of flavor gems in this case, is Descent into Avernus, who, which uh, Chris has referenced uh, several times at this point, because uh, we mentioned that I was going to be talking about another uh, campaign or card named after a campaign from D&D, and Descent into Avernus was a, a campaign that came out a couple years ago, um, and it is a really cool campaign. It's where you find out that a city has been pulled into Avernus because the leaders of said city have uh, kind of signed some kind of weird deal with Zeriel, who was the... Uh, yeah, that city, I should mention, is not Baldur's Gate. Yeah, it's Elturel. So despite it, despite <laughs> saying Baldur's Gate, it's 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 a not Baldur's Gate. Yeah, Baldur's because, Gate has not descended into hell. It's just sometimes kind of hellish there. Yeah, because a lot of the refugees from Elturel fled to Baldur's Gate, and you actually start your adventure in Baldur's Gate. But uh, eventually, as you proceed through the campaign, you have the chance to redeem Zeriel, um, through with the help of Lulu, loyal Hollyfont, who at one point was Zeriel's uh, mount when she's in her f- huge form, um, before Zeriel's fall to from being an, an angel to being the Lord of Avernus, which was the first ring of the Nine Hells. Um, so you have the chance to redeem her, and if you do, or even if you don't, there are ways to free Elturel from the chains that are uh, shackling it to Avernus and you can ascend, you can help Elturel ascend from Avernus. So I, I kind of flashed, I kind of bundled all of, all three of these cards into one flavor gem because they're great and I love that story because Lulu's great in the story and the different routes that you have to uh, save Elturel from being chained in Avernus after going there yourself is a really interesting storyline. So, so the next card I want to talk about is just a baby. It's owl bear cub. It's so cute. Yes, I have two. I have more. I have the other cute one on here too. Uh, these are so good. It has a flavor word ability called Mama's Coming. It's just this grumpy little owl bear cub sitting there, and I just want to hug it and love it. But I know if I do, its mama will murder me like moments later. You know, don't don't touch bear cubs or owl bear cubs or 
owl cubs, although I guess owls don't have cubs, but they are just so cute. So cute. It's ridiculous. That's all I have to say. I have I have so little to contribute this this flavor job. You just love don't the worry. Babies. We're about to hit. We're about to hit a a a a, a, a significant number of sets. Uh, at the very least, we have Dominaria United and the Brothers War, where I'm going to be talking a lot. And now for right now, uh, maybe maybe I'll even get to take a week off, or maybe I won't take a week off, or maybe I'll just you will never myself know. as you again. <laughs> I mean. Who knows? Uh, I'm not going to spoil any surprises. Maybe it's Jay. Maybe it's Chris. You'll never know. Anyways, uh, my next flavor gem is the Baylor, or as my D&D group calls it, legally not a Balrog. This is not a Balrog, everyone. It is a Baylor. Very different. <laughs> now, if we see a reprint of the Baylor in the Lord of the Rings set and they call it a Balrog, <laughs> oh my god. So... <laughs> Baylors and D&D are uh, giant flaming red creatures with big wings that carry giant swords. Balrog. Uh, <laughs> yeah, they are just, they look exactly like a Balrog from Lord of the Rings. They even like, have the fiery whip and everything. Uh, but Baylors are demons. They are not devils. They are not associated with devils. Actually, they're associated with the other warring faction in that, that battle, the Blood Wars. Uh, they are from the abyss. They lead the armies of the demons. The cool thing about this Baylor card is that it has a death trigger. So anyone who's ever fought a Baylor in their D&D campaign, which I actually did recently in our campaign, we fought a Baylor. The Baylor, when it dies, spoiler alert, explodes. And so the they explode into a lot of damage. So killing a Baylor could potentially kill your whole party. So be very careful. Um, but the way that why the do they explode? Because screw you. That's why they're <laughs> demons. They're demons made of fire and ash and hate. Like they're gonna blow up. So when you kill a Baylor, just you know be ready for like some deck saves and uh, pray um, because they do a lot of damage when they explode. And the Baylor in Magic: the Gathering has an attack trigger that also triggers when they die, which is a uh, when they die, you choose one of three. Uh, you choose one or more of three different options, and each target, each mode must target a different player. So, uh, target opponent draws three cards and discards three cards at random. Target opponent sacrifices a non-token artifact, or Baylor deals damage to a target opponent equal to the number of cards in their hand. So, when it dies, you get to hit each of your opponents. This is not a Balrog, legally speaking. <laughs> I have to keep reminding you. Allegedly. <laughs> Our next card is the Elder Brain. So in uh, Baldur's Gate 3, we made mention of Mind Flayers. And Mind Flayers all serve the purpose of their um, kind of coven. I, no, there's a better word for it. I can't. Conclave. They have a conclave where all of these, all the Mind Flayers get together and they all service this one Elder Brain, which is where they ha kind of have a repository of all of the Conclave's memories. Like when an, a Mind Flayer is going to die, not at the hands of an adventurer, they will generally go to the Elder Brain and then let the Elder Brain subsume them. So as to keep all of those memories of that specific Mind Flayer and share it with the Conclave even in death. So Elder Brains are amongst the highest, um, like one of the most powerful things in a, an Illithid or Mind Flayer uh, conclave, and they are supremely powerful. And the fact that whenever this thing attacks, it exiles all players from that player's hand and they draw in that many cards and you may play all the lands and cast the spells from the, the exile cards as long as they remain exiled. That's very on theme for what a Mind Flayer does because it's subsuming all of the memories that you may have had because Mind Flayers, like individual Mind Flayers generally, they eat people's brains and steal memories and things of that nature. And they share those memories with the, the Conclave through like uh, commune, communing with the, the Elder Brain and when they decide to let the Elder Brain assume them. So it's a really cool way to reflect um, what a, a, an Elder Brain actually is in Magic. All right, I'm going to talk about Burnished Heart, which is a reprint with new art that is a war crime. <laughs> this is criminal. <laughs> it is another one of the, oh, so it's cute. It's a cute little creature. It's a cute little burnished heart baby okay okay but it's a burnished heart 
what do you do with burnished hearts? Kill it. You sacrifice <laughs> them. This is not right. This is deeply, deeply messed up. <laughs> deeply messed up. And I am not here for it. If you put one of these cute little burnished hearts out in front of me, it better live. That's all I got to say. It better live or I'm going to target you. That's really all there is to it. BRB putting this putting this one into all of my commander decks going forward. Thanks. No, it's fine. You just play it in your Marin of Clan Neltoth uh, deck and just keep bringing it back and sacrificing oh, it every Oh, yes. Turn. That's all I got to say about that one. All right. So uh, I want to mention a card called Tomb of Horrors Adventurer. Now, if you played Adventures in the Forgotten Realms, you remember that there is the Tomb of Annihilation. The Tomb of Annihilation is the end of the campaign called Tomb of Annihilation. That tomb is greatly based off of the first edition adventure slash dungeon created by Gary Gygax called Tomb of Horrors. Tomb of Horrors, if you're unfamiliar, is a dungeon of some renown. It is built to kill you. That dungeon has so many traps, and a lot of those traps punish you for investigating them. There are many traps in the Tomb of Horrors that if you go, oh, look, I think that's a trap, and you investigate it, it kills you. But there are other traps that if you don't investigate them, will kill you. It is a meat grinder. Uh, the Tomb of Adventures, uh, Tomb of Horrors Adventurer is, the art shows this uh, very graceful elf elf dancing over some arrows right above a spike pit, pit, spike pit trap. Uh, and uh, that's kind of how the whole dungeon feels. You're dodging arrows that are being shot at you from the wall uh, right over a pit trap full of spikes. And uh, I think this depicts a, a scene in the uh, very opening hallway of the Tomb of Horrors. So there's even worse things the further you go in. I'm glad that we got a little nod to it because the Tomb of Horrors is there is an official module for it in the uh, I think it's Tales from the Yawning Portal book, which yeah. actually has like a fifth edition version of Tomb of Horrors. Yep, sure but does. You can find all sorts of versions of it throughout the years and run really any of them because they will all kill you. Yeah, uh, supposedly I've never run the original one because I wasn't playing way back when. I've never gone back to first edition. But apparently from people I've heard that have played the Tales of the Awning Portal version, it's kind of toned down because the original, it's still lethal. By by all means, it's still very lethal, but it is not as uh, meat grindery as the original because I've heard of people having... Like, their party knew what it was when they were going in, so they all had, like, four or five different characters pre-made to Ready to go. Yeah. Session. So Everyone's brought a whole lot of beads and sticks mm-hmm. and, and stuff to trigger traps. Yeah. So so I will I will say, before uh, Tales from the Awning Portal came out, and there was an official 5th edition uh, Tomb of Horrors, my, one of our DMs in my regular D&D group, which meets every Sunday and has been for almost a decade now, uh, we would run a version that he ported over from uh, the initial first edition Tomb of Horrors into 3.5. So this was back when we were playing 3.5, and then he updated it for 5th edition, too. Uh, we would play that around Halloween as like a Halloween tradition, and part of it would be that we just had a big folder of character sheets that we just had. And you would just kind of go through and pick a character, and then when your character died, you'd take the folder and you'd find another character and go, oh, I'll play this one now. And you just show up where you were before playing a whole new character because it was not uncommon for people to die twice before getting through the first hallway. It is very deadly. Yeah, this is my this is this is Jim's cousin Tim. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you don't don't give your don't give your characters any backstory. They're gonna die. Just they're just hey, this is my barbarian barbarian. <laughs> this is barbarian bar 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 the barbarian. <laughs> This is Rouge the Rogue. <laughs> Our next card is Intellect Devourer, which is the frequently a pet of uh, Mind Flayers who are used to re- uh, reconnoiter by stealing the bodies of people who they run into. Basically, how this works is Intellect Devourers will reduce... It, it attacks you by reducing your intelligence score until you hit zero intelligence when you get to zero intelligence you become incapacitated and then this thing tries to teleport into your brain and eat your brain and you're dead you you you're you're not dead you're essentially brain dead and then it assumes your identity because it knows everything that you know at the time of your death or at the time of your brain eating you can get rid of it but even if you do uh or 
someone else can get rid of it out of your body, but even if they get rid of it, your brain is gone, so they have to regenerate your brain. Um, it's one of the scariest monsters a low-level group of D&D adventurers can run into. And the way that they've done this in Magic is pretty darn good. Um, like, basically, when it enters the battlefield, each opponent exiles a card from their hand, and then it, until it leaves the battlefield, but Body Thief says you can play lands and cast spells from among cards exiled with Intellect Devour. If you cast a spell this way, you may spend mana as though it were mana of any color, which is furthering the idea that when it assumes control of your your body, it is able to know anything that you knew at the time that it controlled your body. So, really cool way to do it, and one of the most terrifying monsters I've ever run into, into in a campaign, and I love how they've done it here. You meet one pretty early in the Baldur's Gate 3 game, and it's really cute. <laughs> I think they're adorable. Oh, no, they're definitely adorable until you know, you realize what they can do, and especially if you don't have, like, a wizard in your party. I've seen this thing incapacitate two people in a party, but fortunately they were able to keep it away from, keep it, like, from being able to, like, get into their heads and take over their bodies. So things terrifying especially if you have a bunch of people who have put intelligence as their dump stat they got they got little legs on their brains <laughs> so cute i i <laughs> yeah uh i want to talk just for just a second this is the only legend i i i picked to talk about is captain ngothrod or however you're supposed to say it captain n so first of all magic has a captain n which is was a 80s Nintendo uh, cartoon where a guy in a, a letter jacket with a big N on it who's real into Nintendo went and went on an adventure with like Simon Belmont and Mega Man. Oh and, my god, like, you're such a the, nerd. All these different characters. <laughs> and I just want to mention that like I was not I thought I hallucinated or dreamt this show for like 15 years because from the late 90s to the early 2010s, whenever I would mention it, whoever I was with had never heard of it or never seen it. And it wasn't until the internet and social media that someone posted about it. And I'm like, oh my God, the show is real. But anyway, that has nothing to do with this character. Um, and this is what happens when I don't know what I'm talking about on Flavor Gems episode. <laughs> but anyway. He's a Mind Flayer pirate. That's all you got to say. <laughs> How, that was the only real thing I was going to say about this, Chris. How dare you? Um... Yeah, he's a he's he's a mind player pirate. Probably some spell jammer shenanigans. <sighs> <laughs> I yeah, dude, that's really all he is. I don't think he's actually in any lore. If he is, just let us know in the comments. Um, my last card I want to talk about also features mind flayers. It is a reprint of <laughs> Runaway Together from Throne of Eldraine. <laughs> this is one of my favorite cards in the whole set because it shows true love. <laughs> it is it is uh, run away together. If you remember, you choose two target creatures controlled by different players, return those creatures to their owner's hands, two mana, blue instant. Uh, this art depicts a mind flayer with what looks to be some sort of hobgoblin or furbolg. Uh, they are in love. The, the mind flayer is embracing the pure look of love between them. They're in this like idyllic garden. The flavor text says, uh, true love means always knowing what's on the other's mind. I <laughs> love this. This is peak D&D. This is what happens in every D&D campaign. Someone falls in love with oh. the weird horror monster. And you have to create an entire subplot wherein the monster you know, falls in love with this player character and they run off together. And I love it. Yeah, like one of my best memories of a campaign is when one of my uh, party members were in uh, the bottom of a uh, wind monastery. I can't remember which campaign it was for. No, it's uh, from Princes of the Apocalypse. And he rolls to seduce the leader of this monastery and he rolls a natural 20 and our DM lets the uh, leader of this this group of cultists uh, fall in love with him, they get married and it's it's one of the funniest moments I've ever experienced in a D&D campaign and I love this. Um, yeah, there, there's, there's a meme of someone always like the most horrible monster to ever exist appears in front of you. Like, freaking Mind Flayer 
And someone in the party is just going to be like, I want to roll to romance it. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's great. Um, my last card is Barroom Brawl. It's There's nothing like going into a campaign and you have that one rowdy player who's all murder hobo-y and they always want to start a fight in the pub. And you... They, they start a fight, and then the fight escalates because more and more people get pulled in, and the way that they've done this in Magic is great. Like, you fight one creature that the person on your left controls, then they can choose to spread the fight, and it keeps going until someone stops, and it's amazing. I love this card, and it makes me so happy that the, like they've executed it this way. It's, it's amazing. So, uh, I have I had two more, actually, so I'm going to do them both real quick. Stick together is great because it's about not splitting the party uh, or you'll die, which is literally what the card does. It is amazing. Uh, Also, I mentioned that Fallout tabletop RPG I played earlier. I was this was the first time I ever DM'd and one of the players wanted to go off on his own. He didn't want to be with the other guys. Why? I don't know. Um, I allowed him to do that. And he actually ended up uh, derailing the entire campaign killing a character that wasn't supposed to be killed or discovered until later because he wandered off on his own and just happened to go in the right direction with the right roles. And I let it all happen. Uh, and the whole the whole campaign imploded, basically. And it was like World War IV uh, because I let this party get split up. Yeah. So other bad things can happen if you let it happen, too. Anyway, the last one I want to uh, talk about is the Artificer class. If you know anything about me, Janelli, not Cristalano, uh, I love... <laughs> The art, I love artificers and I was, uh, I wasn't mad cause I didn't even realize about it's not being included in the last D set. Uh, but I am very happy that the artificer class, uh, gets an actual class this time around. Although it's kind of funny that it's an enchantment. Uh, <laughs> uh, but you know, it's still pretty cool. I love artificers. Uh, I like, pl- I really like the artificer class outside of clerics. It's the, the one I, I play the most. So yeah. That's all I got to say about it. <laughs> uh, it's funny because the Artificer class was not in the original player's handbook. It was uh, included in an expansion. So just like in uh, Magic, the Artificer class was included in an expansion to the original AFR set. Flavor um, win. <laughs> the flavor wins. So uh, let's wrap this up. So final thoughts. Uh, oh, I guess I need to go. Yeah. Uh, me, Jay and Ellie, my final thought. <laughs> no, stop <laughs> it. Stop it, Christopher. Uh, so my final thought is in all seriousness, I, I, I had backed out of command fest Richmond. I was looking at the case numbers. I got a six month old at home. I was like, do I really need to be in an event that's going to have like hundreds of people like on top of each other? There are precautions, no, no judgment to anyone who decides to go and just make sure that, uh, after the event, which is now when this airs Monday, that you are, uh, making sure you're vigilant about your health. And you're getting tested to make sure you did not get infected at this event and accidentally infect other people with this very contagious strain that's are go- that are going around. My final thought is that Regis Spider Paraffin did not get a card yet again in another D&D <laughs> set. I am so hot under the collar because he didn't get a card with the rest of the companions in AFR. And I was like... Okay, maybe he'll get one in Baldur's Gate. No, he still didn't get a card. I do not understand. Like, come on. He he, uh, he is one of the, like, he was never one of my favorite companions of the hall. But, like, his second inca- incarnation of Spider Paraffin was amazing. And he grew so much of the character. And I'm so sad that he still hasn't gotten a card in Magic. Because I want to build my companions of the hall D- D&D-themed commander deck. But it's missing my Regis. I don't want to have to proxy a Regis with another car- like another legendary creature or something. I don't want to do that. I want Regis, and I want him now, Wizards. Give him to me. Please. Thank you. That is it. And my final thought is they should never put Regis in a set. Look here, you <laughs> No, my final thought is uh, Baldur's Gate 3 is really good. I know it's still in early access. Uh I've been playing a lot over the last couple of weeks because this set has made me want to play through it. There's been some major updates since the last time I played. Uh, I'm really excited for the full release of this game because there is so much to do and so much fun and so many like real D&D moments in this game. It just feels awesome. It's just such a, a great way of playing D&D. 
Uh, so that's my final thought. You should uh, get it. Play Early Access. It'll be really fun when it's out. I might download it on my wife's computer, which can actually run it. Basically, I got her a really nice gaming computer so that she could play uh, Diablo. <laughs> the Diablo. <laughs> the Diablo remake. And then we had an infant and like that all went out the window. So, yeah. Anyway, if you too would like to play Diablo. No, we're not talking about Diablo. We're not playing Diablo. So Pokemon. We are talking about Pokemon. We're talking about the new sets. We're doing all sorts of cool stuff in our Discord server. And you can get access by being one of our Patreons uh, at patreon.com slash the Vorthos cast. That's about all the spiel I got. So thank you all for listening. This has fill out been. the survey. Fill out the survey. Oh, fill out the survey. Yeah, yeah, please, please. If you didn't hang up now, please fill out the survey so we know what to order for these playmats. Last time we did this, we were very small. We ordered 25. We sold all of them. There was no one who was disappointed that they didn't get one. Uh, this time around, we're, we're, we're slightly bigger. We got somewhere in the vicinity of 100 patrons, I think. All right, so we're just going to go with thank you all for listening. This has been the Vorthos Cast.